Heritage Day it is. One of our presidents, in fact, the deputy president, said uh, it should call a nation to unity. I'm talking about Heritage Day. And uh, he said, South Africa, I'm praying for South Africa, that we need a South Africa that is non-racial, non-sexist, democratic, united, and indeed prosperous. We are one people. Simunye, we are but one. The Ubuntu concept. We are but one. But are we? Just on the top of things, on the top layer, it, it is so sugar-coated. But underneath of it, we're struggling and we're battling. And I want to use a word that not so long ago, this word was so feared. And speaking it was treason. And then it happened. It happened. In fact, politicians and uh, people around us are even calling it an age of revolution. Yeah, that's the word that I want to use. Revolution. Are you longing for change? Are you longing for a revolution? Because something within us cry out that the world is horribly broken, that the world needs to be fixed. And for centuries, that word was scarcely heard, buried under the ages of oppression. And now, here we are, 25th of September, 2023. And some historians has even gone as far to to identify the, the modern age as the age of revolution. But is it? Perhaps it's more accurate to refer to our times as an age of, of failed revolution. If you look across the landscape, it becomes clear that very few revolutions produce what they promise. And arguably, most revolutions lead to a worse set of conditions than what they replace. Don't you agree with me? And yet, we still yearn for radical change. It is Heritage Day when we look back on whence we've come from and where we're we heading from. For things to be made right, even our Deputy President Paul Mashitile, who said, a nation of unity. Heritage Day should be called a nation of unity. A day for promoting and preserving the country's collective memory is what we need, he said. A South Africa that is non-racial, that applies to everybody living in this country. A country that is non-sexist, that applies to everybody in this country, irrespective of race, creed, or color. A country that is truly democratic. In other words, people that we as the people select to serve the people and not their own needs. That's democracy. United and indeed prosperous, it can be done. But how so? How can it be done? 
And we as Christians rightly long to see the righteousness and truth and justice prevail in this country. We, we desperate, I think you would agree with me, for what no earthly revolution can produce. We long for the kingdom of God and for Jesus to be King of kings, Lord of lords. We're looking for a kingdom that will never end, a king whose rule is perfect. It does exist. And therefore, I want to talk to you about something that will take us less than, if we read it out loud, 20 seconds. If you read it out loud and you pace yourself well, you're looking at 20, 25 seconds to read it. A prayer, the very prayer that Jesus taught his own disciples to pray. And so Christians pray this, this prayer as a way of learning how to pray and what to pray. As Jesus teaches us to pray. I want to talk about the prayer that turns the world upside down. You know where I'm aiming at. You have heard this no doubt before. But I want to ask you this. Are you longing for change? When I use the word revolution, does it bring discomfort in your spirit? I think there's no clearer call to revolution than when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But this is a revolution that only God, Yahweh, can bring. And I've got news for you. He will. He will. It's a short prayer that turns the world upside down. Principalities and powers that hear this prayer fall down. Shivers and shakes. Dictators are told their time is up. Might will indeed be made right and truth and justice will prevail. Listen, my brother, my sister, as you tune to this radio station on Heritage Day, the 25th of September, kingdoms of this world will all pass. Hear me. The word says that. The Bible says that. We have no doubt seen it in past histories. Kingdoms of this world will pass giving way to the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, giving way to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the kingdom of God and Christ. It comes down to, man, one of the shortest prayers found in the Bible. But you know what? It takes a lifetime to learn. And sadly, so I want to say this, so many Christians rush through this prayer without learning it. And we miss so much important stuff completely. The point of the prayer. What is it there for? Why do we pray this prayer? Somebody by the name of Gary Miller has written a lot about it, and he says he even wants to go as far as saying that the evangelical church is slowly but surely giving up 
on prayer. I know it's a shocking thing to say. But the truth of that assessment is even more shocking. Why are evangelicals giving up on prayer? Because life is easy for Christians in South Africa. Perhaps too easy. Some of us lack the desperation that most Christians have experienced throughout the church history. Do you feel desperate? Are you hungry for the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Are you hungry for God's Word? I was watching a video clip the other day. What if we treat our Bibles the same way as we treat our cell phones? When you open your eyes, that's the first thing that you grab for your Word, God's Word. You see, desperation is what leads to prayer. The greatest atheists, you put their back against the wall. You put your, their lives on a string and they start praying. Desperation leads to prayer. We are so incredibly distracted, so incredibly busy. And I want to say this, that both are enemies of prayer. Distraction and busyness. We wear busyness like a badge. Pray this one-minute prayer to fill your day. How can you pray for one minute to the one who's giving life to you, who's giving this day to you? Giving up on prayer is not only a sign of evangelical weakness, it's disobedience. Jesus not only taught his disciples to pray, he commanded us to pray. He commanded us to pray. Why don't Christians pray anymore? Spend time in prayer. When last have you spent more than 10, 20 minutes in prayer? I was here listening yesterday in church to some of the, the great fathers of faith spending three and four and five hours just Looking at Daniel in God's word, how much time he spent in prayer. And I think many Christians simply do not know how to pray. But Jesus, who created us, who knows what we are made of, John 2 and verse 24, he teaches us to pray. <laughs> the great reformer, Martin Luther, you know what he's famous for, huh? Remembering that? He's uh, 95 theses to the door of the, the castle church of Wittenberg in Germany in 1517. Leading the reformation of the church. And I think what we do not often remember is that Martin Luther was also a man that regularly needed a haircut. Just like perhaps you. Well, I no longer have hair, but we need haircuts. And so Luther's barber, a guy by the name of Peter Beskendorf, once asked Luther for advice on how to pray. And Martin Luther responded by writing instruction on prayer that he called a simple way to pray. A simple way to pray for Master Peter, the barber. Luther pointed his barber to the Lord's Prayer. 
And then he offered incredibly helpful advice. He said, so as a diligent and a good barber, you must keep your thoughts, your senses, and your eyes precisely on the hair and the scissors or the razor and not forget where you trimmed or shaved. For if you want to talk a lot and become distracted, thinking about something else, you might as well cut somebody's nose or mouth, even his throat. I think you get Luther's point. We must learn to pray and to resist distraction in prayer. How much does prayer point us and bring us to that place where we can focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, our undivided attention of our whole heart. We have so much to learn about this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. It's not a formula. It's not a, a quick fix. You find it in Matthew 6, verse 9 to 13. You find it in the Gospel of Luke, verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 2 and 4. And so some people treat the Lord's Prayer as a magic formula, as if the words themselves would have specific power or influence with God. That's not my point here this morning. The Bible teaches us the opposite. God is far more interested in our hearts when we pray than He is in our words. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door. Listen to those instructions. Go into your room. Close the door. And pray to your Father who is in the unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in the secret will reward you. There's a Lord God Almighty that sees in the secret. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. The Bible instructs us. Why? Because he says, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. My brother, my sister, in prayer, we are to pour out our hearts to God, not just simply recite memorized words to God. And I know you know the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. It should be understood as, a, as an example, a pattern of how to pray. It gives us the ingredients that should you go into prayer, Here's how to break it down. Our Father is teaching us whom to address. Whom to address our prayers to. The Father, the one and only true God. There is none besides Him. The Bible says idols are the works of men. The cement, the hout, the stalker. The end of the funny stomp mark was caused me and the end of the snares ate as a as a ding on town, but there is but only one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. We call him Abba. We call him Yahweh. We call him Elohim. We call him Father. This is the one that we address in our prayers. Hallowed be your name. It's telling us to worship God and to praise him for who he is. 
that phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a reminder to the, us that we are to pray for God's plan in our lives. Listen, God's plan in your life and in my life and in this world, not our own plans. We are to pray for God's will to be done. I originally wanted to talk to you about God's will be done. Thy will be done. And here I'm speaking to you now. The Lord changed it all over. And we're speaking about the Lord's prayer. God's will be done. Not for our desires. We're encouraged to ask God for the things we need. And yes, we pray, give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. It reminds us to confess our sins to God and to turn to Him. And also to forgive others as God has forgiven us. We open our eyes this morning. We start afresh. We start a new one. We'd like to start with a clean slate, a clean page. But we need to forgive others the same way that God's forgiven us. The conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, is a plea for help in overcoming to have victory over sin and a request from protection for protection from the attacks of, of Satan himself and his evil hordes. And so we've got the armor of God. Put it on. Go to Ephesians 6 from verse 10 and put on the armor of God. Apply the armor of God. The same way we should ask the Lord as we pray the Lord's prayer. Lord, give us this day victory over sin and protect us from the evil one. And so, my brother, my sister, the Lord's prayer is not a prayer. We have to mindlessly recite back to God. It is only an example of how we should be praying. Is there anything wrong with memorizing the Lord's prayer? Of course not. Is there anything wrong with praying the Lord's prayer back to God? Not if your heart is in it and truly mean the words that you say. Remember, in prayer, God is far more interested in our, in our communicating with Him and speaking from our hearts than what He is in specific words. It's Philippians 4 and verse 6. I love this scripture that declares, Do not be anxious. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now that being said and done, remember when we started this morning? I said to you that this prayer 
this revolutionary prayer can change the world, can change our country, can bring to fruition what the deputy president is yearning for, a call to a nation for unity in Christ Jesus, a South Africa that is non-racial, non-sexist, democratic, united, and indeed prosperous. If we submit to God, Second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, humble themselves. And so it is with a humble heart that I want to ask you, pray with me this prayer. The Lord's Prayer. You find it in Matthew 6. And from verse 9 it says, In this manner, therefore pray. You know the prayer, my brother, my sister. Let's pray it to the Lord from our hearts. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen.